If anybody, children out there need binders, we may have a few in the back, though by this time they normally run out. But we're going to be reading through Joshua 1. If you need a Bible, please raise your hands. The ushers are ready to hand them out. But read with me Joshua 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am given to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness in this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to give the fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your ways prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. That's the reading of God's word. We're going to have a time of prayer. Let's remember all of our members who are out there traveling, who are not able to be with us this morning. Let's also remember memorial service, Memorial Day, I mean, is meant to remember those who died for this country. So let's remember those. I know we like to honor our veterans, and that's good, but actually Memorial Day is not about the veterans. It's about those who died. Let's just remember those who gave an ultimate sacrifice as we pray. Let's thank God for them, too. Amen? And I think we can also thank God for those who died. Maybe they didn't die in military service, but they died for the good of this country. I think of people like Martin Luther King. I think of many others who died um, because, and they did good things for this country. And so we as Christians, we should feel Memorial Day even more than those who are not Christians because we have a memorial left to us by the Son of God, amen? And so Memorial Day is a good day. And so let's thank God for these things. I know we get caught up in the barbecue and all that stuff, and that's good stuff, don't get me wrong. But let's not forget what the point of the holiday is. Not just to have a day off. It's to remember people who gave their lives so that we could have freedom. And freedom is something that is rare in the history of man. All around the world, you can go to somewhere where you would not be free. And if you were to land somewhere in history, you guaranteed odds were that you would not be free. If you picked a random year, You'd be enslaved. You'd be a serf. You'd be a peasant. You'd be under a king, a dictator. You'd have all kind of horrible things. Many of the things that we see in our fiction, you know, people um, like to watch the show Game of Thrones and things like that. That show, uh, horrible things that all the people in that show is doing, that's all historical. People who say, oh, yeah, you're getting married? Well, I, I get to um, have your bride before you do. That's historical. People who just kill children just because they don't like that race. People who do all kinds of things. And we get to live in a country that's not perfect, but has all these freedoms. We get to stand up and worship the Lord. We don't have to worry about the police busting into our church. We actually have a police member that's part of our church. We can't help but thank God for those things. Amen. So let's remember that. I pray that you remember that um, tomorrow when you are off. Don't just take it as an off day. Remember the reason for the off day. Let's pray. 
Dear Lord, we thank you, Lord, for our country. We have Memorial Day because people have died to keep us free and to stand up for the principles of this country. And this country is not perfect, Lord. It's not your country, but it's a good country. And many men and women have died because of the ideals of this country are worth dying for. And we think about all those who fought and died in many wars, all the way back to the Revolutionary War, Lord, where people fought because they felt that they should have a right to determine who governs them. And then we look at the Civil War where people fought because they thought that it was immoral to enslave an entire people. And then we look at people in the Civil Rights Movement, Lord, who died because they felt that it was immoral to separate a race of people as if they don't, uh, the laws of the country don't apply to them. And so, Lord, people have died for good causes in this country. And we also think about all those who died um, as police officers, especially this year, Lord. Many who, um, some sad people are out there besmirching. But these are the people who have to deal with the mistakes we as a society have put out. And so when we don't raise our children right, who has to deal with them but the police? We don't put our people where they're supposed to be, and now all of a sudden they're dealing with the police, and now we're mad at the police because the police have to throw them in jail or have to arrest them or treat them roughly. And we didn't raise them right. We didn't spank them when they was kids. We didn't put them in school. We didn't have them going to church. And now we wonder why the police got to deal with them. And some of those people are out there killing our police officers. And so, Lord, we pray and thank you for all those who've given their lives and risked their lives to give us the lives that we have. We are living in the most prosperous country in the whole world and the most free country in the whole world because of those sacrifices. But we, it makes us as Christians, Lord, think to those who gave the ultimate sacrifice for us. It said for a good man, people would scarcely even dare to die. But... God showed his love towards us that while we were yet sinners and hated him, he died for us, Lord. And so you died for us. And we thank you, Lord. Memorial Day is especially special to those of us who understand the, what the ultimate cost of death is. And then also that you paid that price for us, Lord. That we ultimately should have had that penalty in ourselves. And so, Lord, we pray, Lord, for those members of ours who are out there. Um, they're visiting family. They're doing many different things. I'm on vacation in this holiday, Lord. We pray that you would bring them back safely, Lord. We pray for those of us here that we would do an honor to your name, that we would have a service that honors you, Lord, that we would be able to come to heaven and give account to what we do today, and you would say, well done. And so we thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to serve. It's always an opportunity, Lord. We thank you for that opportunity. We pray that you just bless all of us together. In your name we pray, amen. Before we speak God's, about God's word. <clears throat> Dear Lord, we thank you, Lord, for allowing us to be able to be your people. We pray and thank you, Lord, for your word. We pray that you will bless us in understanding your word and preaching your word. Let your spirit guide us in it, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. We're going to be going through Joshua 1. And this passage just fits so much with Memorial Day. As we know, Memorial Day is not about just recognizing our veterans. We have Veterans Day to recognize our veterans. But Memorial Day is meant to recognize those who died. And it's a good thing to recognize those who died for us. It's good for the spirit. And I think it's pleasing to God when we honor those who died for a good cause. And when you look at Joshua 1, what you see is a people who had achieved great victories with Moses. They had just beaten a great king. They had survived the wilderness. But they hadn't fought against fortresses. They hadn't fought people who had chariots. They hadn't fought in giants. And Moses just died. And so when you look at Joshua 1, it comes in the context of a lot of uncertainty. And when God's people are uncertain, all of a sudden you see in Joshua chapter 1, Jehovah speaks. 
It says, verse 1, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' servant, the Lord speaks. And that's one thing that kind of draws you in this passage, that we're uncertain. We all have times of uncertainty, but in our times of uncertainty, are we where we can hear the voice of God? Because if we are, we will hear God speak to us in the midst of our uncertainty. And so he speaks in verse 2, and he gives Joshua a mission. And the first thing he says is, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, that's just a fact that Moses was dead. But I think it's an honor to Moses that he calls Moses my servant. It's not normally servant is not something that's a praise. But when it comes to God, it is a praise. Not many people in the scriptures are called a servant of God. But not many people served like Moses served. In many ways, Joshua 1 is a memorial to Moses. Because he died serving for God's people. In fact, the reason he died is because he wrongly was so zealous, he wasn't allowed to go to the promised land. But he was caring for God's people to the day that he died. The day he died, he still died. Even the manner in which he died was for God's people. Moses, my servant. But then he says, now arise. And the thought from that is, yeah, Moses is dead. And I understand we've been sad about Moses dying, but we still have a work to do. When good men die, it's not time to stop the work. It's time to pick the work up and carry on. Now he says, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I'm giving to them, to the people of Israel. Now the Jordan... was like a place of safety. Because while they were on that side of the Jordan, there was a river protecting them from their enemies. And they couldn't be attacked. If you look at the history of it, they had already defeated everybody who was on the other side of the Jordan. Nobody would pursue them. And on the other side of the Jordan, there was nothing but enemies. In fact, the reason that the first generation that Moses went out with died in the wilderness is because when they went across that river, they saw giants in the land. They saw fortresses. They saw people who had chariots. They said, we can't beat these people. But God speaks to Joshua and says, go over this Jordan and face the enemy. In verse 3, we start to see the promise of God. Because God never gives a mission to us without also giving us a promise. He says, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. That's a crazy promise. But what he is saying essentially is this, that Joshua, I've promised you this. I'm giving you the mission, but I've already given you victory. Just as I promised Moses. In other words, Moses already forged a path for you. I already promised it to Moses, therefore just go and do it. All you got to do is go across to that land. Everywhere you walk, you're going to win. He starts to explain the vastness of the territory that he has given him in verse 4. From the wilderness in this Lebanon as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. What is he saying? The whole Middle East I've given to you. You look at a map right now. Most of Saudi Arabia. All the way up to Syria. 
all the way out to the border of Iran, I'm giving that all to you. Nobody that's living there now will be able to beat you. Take it. And he kind of sets up a challenge. He says, no man shall be, be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. He sets up in Joshua's mind two opposing forces. There are the people that are living in the land already. Remember, the land is not empty. There's somebody that's there. And then he sets up himself. I will not leave you or forsake you. And the thought that we get from this is, it's an unbelievable promise and an unbelievable mission, isn't it? Because we realize that if Joshua was to try to do it by his strength alone, he would not be able to achieve the mission that God set out for him. But another thing we can think about is the goal is the promise. And what I mean by that is what Joshua is going for is already promised to him. So if Joshua is to believe God, what he needs to achieve has already been completed. But just because God promised doesn't mean that there's still not war to be waged. Right? God promised it to Joshua, but still... Joshua still has to fight wars. Joshua still has to plan out a battle. The whole book of Joshua is about him fighting. There's two things that we learn from this. The first thing is that if God alone cannot achieve it, he probably didn't aim for it. And the other one is this, don't try to be too risk, realistic about what God can do. I believe that we as God's people, we have to create unrealistic goals that men can't accomplish so that when men see it being done, they don't look to man, they look to God. He didn't say, Joshua, take this one city and I think you have enough people to beat that army and here's your army versus their army. Here's their tactics versus your tactics. You can beat them and then set it up and then that's good. No, he said, take over this whole swath of land. Defeat all these empires with a group that just came out of Egypt that was slaves. They didn't have no great warriors. They didn't have no great armor. They didn't have any great tactics. Yeah, they fought a few battles. But they were tribes people. But in another way, you could say this, that in their walking in the wilderness, God had forged them. That wilderness had burned out the fat. People who didn't want to believe in God were gone. The people who couldn't take it didn't survive. And through that wilderness, now we enter the land of promise. And as we enter the land of promise, we have to recognize our promises of God, but you also have to recognize the preparation of God. That he has prepared us to take what he has promised to give us. But then, the rest of the passage, he talks about the method of success. We love this passage so much because and I know I love it for this reason, because of what it, it just seems like such a, an encouraging, explode in your heart kind of passage, doesn't it? He says, be strong and courageous. And you feel it. It almost makes your soul shiver a little bit, like, oh, man, I feel that. You can't say that, like, yeah, be strong and courageous. You know, that's not going to be on Caleb. Be strong and courageous and sensitive to the Lord. No. Be strong and courageous. Be strong to do three things. 
Verse 6, be strong and courageous, for you shall cause his people to inherit the land. Be strong because God is already doing the work. In other words, we can say what God foresees, he foredoes. He already did it. So you just got to be strong and do it. The second thing is, be careful, be strong to do. This law, look what he says in verse 7. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all this law. Be strong, right? The first one is be strong to believe in the promises that God has given us. But the second one is be strong to do what is in God's word. Doing God's word is not for the wussy or the weak. People often think, okay, well, God told me to do that. Well, it's going to be easy. No, it's going to be hard because it's opposition. It is not easy to stand on God's word. There's many reasons and excuses why you shouldn't do what you should do. There's always a reason. There's always an excuse. One of the things I hate when I come to work is people always got excuses. If you ever look at what Jesus is like in the Gospels, Jesus is not an excuse acceptor. People often come to Jesus, yeah, you know, well, you know, um, I mean, I didn't do this. And he said, what? Whenever he gives parables, people come to the master with excuses, and they always get thrown into the outer darkness. You ever notice that? Excuse people always get thrown into hell. It's amazing to me that we come to church and we have excuses on our mind, not recognizing what kind of God we serve. He is not an excuse acceptor. He says, be strong and very courageous to do what? To do this law. To do this law, we got to do three things. We got to have it in our mouth, right? What he said is, this book of the law should not depart from your mouth. In other words, you got to continually teach it. You got to continually preach it. It's something that needs to be spoken. I've heard lots of people say weird things about the gospel. Yes, you got to be good about the gospel. And sometimes you got to speak it. No. You must always speak the truth. And it is when you speak the truth that you will face opposition. Anybody can love people and give this nebulous gospel, you will not face persecution or hardship. It is only when you tell people about Jesus being the only way, it is only when you tell people that hell and that there is a judgment will you start to face opposition. If all you say is tell me what you think about God and I'll tell you what I think about God, nobody cares because you set it up that what you think is your, your opinion and what I think is my opinion. When you say it don't matter what our opinions are, what it matters is what God says, all of a sudden you get people hostile. People's backs get stiff. People walk out of church. And that's okay. Because we got to be strong and very courageous. Sometimes we got to confront our own selves. But we'll get to that. But here he says, be careful to do this law to teach it. Then he says, meditate on it. But you should meditate on it day and night. We got to meditate on it. It's got to be in our hearts. It's got to be in our minds. That means we got to be reading it. We got to be studying it. We got to be challenging each other with it. You got to be testing me and I got to be testing you. That's how we meditate on it until it's in our heads. When we go to sleep and we wake up and all of a sudden we've been dreaming about God's word. That's when you know you've been doing it. See, I'm the kind of person when I do entertainment, I like to binge entertainment. Right? If I watch a show, I like to watch all five seasons right row. Yeah. I like to watch it so much that I might go to sleep and I wake up and I'm like, whoa, you know, I was in that world with them. And that's how we need to be with God's word. We need to be taking in God's word so much that we might, oh man, we're thinking about God's word. What would Jesus do? What would Joshua do? How was Moses? What did he look like? Thoughts like that should be jumping into our head. Meditate on it day and night. And then the third thing you got to do about God's word is you got to do it. Right? 
It's one thing to speak it. It's one thing to meditate. Now let's do it. He said, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do it according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. What is the method of success? It is by obeying God's word to the fullest. Doing God's word to the fullest. Teaching and preaching God's word to the fullest. Meditating on God's word. Day and night. We got to be strong to be those who wield God's word. Because we know that the Bible in another place says God's word is like a sword. And I believe that it's a heavy sword. The heavier the sword, the more damage it causes. But the heavier the sword, the stronger you have to be to wield it. And so we must forge ourselves to be strong enough to wield God's word and be able to handle the blast back. I think of it like a gun. Every gun has recoil. And you have to know how to stand. You got to know how to aim and prop the gun up properly so when you shoot it, you don't fall over. And so we must be. Every time we blast off God's word, there's going to be a recoil. Every action in science says there will be an equal and opposite reaction. And so it is in the spiritual world. As we engage in God's word, we will face opposition. How will we handle that opposition? When we swing God's word, will we be able to be strong enough to carry through what we swing? Can we wield it properly? Or does it become something that's too heavy for us to hold? Do we look to it for illumination? One, at a preacher's conference, they use this joke. They said, many preachers use God's word like a drunk uses a lamppost. More for support than illumination. And the thought is, are we using God's word for its intended purpose? Or are we just trying to do what we wanted to do and try to support that with what God's word says? You got to be strong to do that, though. Because you got to take God's word and turn it inwards. And if you look at what he says, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Don't be frightened, nor be dismayed. Now, it may seem like he's saying the same words, but he's not. Don't be frightened means don't let the fear of others trump your fear of God. And don't be dismayed means don't allow your faith or your courage to break down. And all of this being strong is framed by God's presence. Look at verse 5. At the end of verse 5, he says, I will not leave you or forsake you. And at the end of verse 9, he says, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. How do we be strong? By being with the Lord. I love this passage. But as I was studying this passage, I started to realize something. I wanted to make and get to the main point, because that's when you're doing good preaching, when you can help people understand what the main point is. And so I said to myself, yeah, you know the main point already. It's to be strong, isn't it? Look at verse 6. Be strong and courageous. Verse 7, only be strong and very courageous. And verse 9, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. And I was like, man, that is what the title of this message should be. Be strong and courageous. Serve the Lord your God. But God was like, hmm. You would get a bronze medal if you thought that was the main point. And I was like, what? So he said, hey, why don't you look at that passage again and tell me if you see something that occurs more than being strong and courageous. And I was like, well, okay, let me look again. So then... 
I was like, oh, I got it. This is why I picked this passage for Memorial Day. Because the main point of this passage is remembering the godly leadership of Moses. Look at this in verse 1. It says, after the death of Moses. Verse 2, it says, Moses, my servant, is dead. Verse 3, just as I promised to Moses. Verse 5, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Verse 7, be careful to do all according to the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. So then I started to say, man, this is why I'm preaching this on Memorial Day, because it's about a memorial to Moses. Moses died serving God. And he left this to us to continue this great work. God was like, hey, man, that's pretty good. You get a silver medal. And I was like, man. I mean, I could make it happen with that, you know. But that's, I want to I get the gold. So God was like, well, push on from there because that's not enough. It's not enough. And then he finally revealed what the point of this whole passage was. And it really started to hit my heart. And that's when I knew I was getting close to the goal. Look at verse 2. Is Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise and go to this land that I'm giving to them, to the people of Israel. Then look at verse 3. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you just as I promised to Moses. Look at verse 6. Be strong and courageous, for you shall call this people to inherit the land that I swore to give to their fathers. Verse 7. Be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all this law. Verse 8, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. What is the main point? The main point is the word of God. This passage is about the word of God. What are we being strong to do? We're not being strong just because we strengthen ourselves. I could preach the passage like that, but you would be getting a superficial blessing from a past sermon like that. Being strong in ourselves. Yeah, I'm going to be strong. I'm going to be courageous. And that will last you till Monday. Because at the end of the day, you're strong for a reason. It's to wield God's word. Why is Moses mentioned so much? It's a memorial to Moses because he was faithful and handling God's word. Look what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 31. It's only a few pages back. Deuteronomy 31, verse 7 and 8. Tell me what passage this sounds like. Then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him, In the sight of all Israel, be strong and courageous. For you shall go, out, go with this people into the land the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you shall put them in possession of it. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. That sounds a lot like our passage, doesn't it? And in fact, this is why Moses is prayed, praised, because he says what God would say. Moses says what God says. That's what's so good about Moses. Moses is faithful in handling God's word. That's why he should be memorialized. And we will be memorialized too if we handle God's word faithfully like Moses handled it. It's not about Moses. It's about how he handled God's word. When you look at all the build-up to this, you start to realize it's all about God's word. We're going to go through Deuteronomy real quick and turn with me. There's a lot of passages, but read with me Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 18. He says, you shall therefore lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul, and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be a frontlets between your eyes. You shall teach them to your children, talking of them when you are sitting in your house, and when you are walking by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates, that your days 
And the days of your children may be multiplied in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers to give them, as long as the heavens are above the earth. For if you will be careful to do all this commandment that I command you to do, loving the Lord your God, walking in all his ways and holding fast to him, the Lord will drive out all these nations before you. They will, you will dispossess nations greater and mightier than you. If you hold to the Lord, if you hold to God's word, you will be stronger. Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. Yeah, there's a whole lot of, lot of mystical stuff in there. And you can go to Barnes and Nobles and you can buy a book about somebody who thought that they was in the third heaven. And you can buy other books, bestsellers about people who talk to angels. And people who saw demons and people who don't believe there's a hell and people who don't believe there's a real heaven. But at the end of the day, God has revealed what he has revealed. And let's trust that because that belongs to us. If we take in God's word, we can teach that to our children and it can belong to us forever. Don't worry about what's not revealed in God's word. Deuteronomy chapter 30. Verse 11, he says, For this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. It's not too hard. It's not too far off. People say, well, you're telling people to be pure until marriage. That's not too hard compared to playing child support for the rest of your life. It's not too hard compared to having an STD. It's not too hard compared to having a mixed family and having to deal with a baby mama for the rest of your life. Is it that hard when you compare the alternative? No, it is not. It's not too hard. People often say, well, that's hard to do. It's hard until you compare what the result of the alternative is. Verse 14 says, but the word is very near to you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. The reason that the word is to be memorized the word is to be read. The word is to be preached. The word is to be taught so that we can turn around and do it. Verse 15 through 18. He says, see, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. But if your heart turns away and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. That's always been the truth. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 46. says this. He said to them, take to heart all the words by which I am warning you today that you may command them to your children that they may be careful to do all the words of this law. For it is no empty word for you, but your very life. And by this word you shall live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to possess. What's going to allow us to succeed past the Jordan? It's the word of God. It's the word of God. That's the key of this passage. We look at God's word. God's word has authority. It's meant to be obeyed. Every single part of it is meant to be obeyed. It has clarity. In other words, you can read God's word and you can understand it. You don't need a PhD to figure out God's word. It's not that people are not smart enough to obey God's word is that people are not willing to obey God's word. It's not that it's hard to figure out what's right and what's wrong. It's hard to accept what's right and what's wrong. Knowing that we ourselves do what is wrong. God's word is inerrant. People often look and say, well, you know, I'm going to find an error in the Bible or there's errors in the Bible. There is no error. 
God's word is necessary. It's needed. It's needed for service. It's needed to live by. I couldn't live without God's word. You can't live without God's word. Moses said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. People who think that they can live without God's word are messed up people. And God's word is sufficient for our lives. It fills all the holes in our lives. It explains where we went wrong. It explains where we went right. We got to beware those who say, be strong, without linking it to the word of God. Because willpower can only get you so far. You got to beware those who say, believing in the truth is arrogant or closed-minded. I asked somebody to tell me that. Well, that's your truth, and this is my truth. There is no personal truths. There is simply truth, and there is lie. It don't matter if it's me or you. If what we're saying is not in here, it's a lie. People often say this. The Bible is too old. It's written by men. It's full of contradictions. As if God not knowing that it will be around 2,000 years later. As if God wrote it, and he was like, oh, I didn't think anybody would read that verse and that verse next to each other. But whenever you hear people saying this thing, all you need to do is look at the lives of the people that are saying that stuff. And when you see them saying it, you realize how messed up their lives is. That they can't even tell the difference between a man and a woman. And you want to tell me what's in God's word. You can't even tell how a family should be structured. But you want to tell me what's in God's word. People who follow that kind of doctrine are why people are murdering people in our cities today. Why people will take a baby, have a baby, and kill that baby and think that that's okay. Now people think you can have birth with a baby. And after the baby is alive and out of the womb, then you can kill that baby again and that's okay. If you believe something that's stupid, don't tell me that you are smart enough to tell me what's in God's word and what's not in God's word. I will not listen to you because your life is evidence against your intelligence. You are not qualified. The Bible is something that we can live by. See, listen to this. When you look at this passage in Joshua, it's placed where it's placed for a reason. It's placed there because they were uncertain about what they were supposed to do. They didn't know if God was still with them because Moses was gone. And God is saying, I will be there. You know how you can trust that I will be there? Because my word is sure. When I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. I'm not like the man down the street who when he promised you something, you got to look at the gleam of his eye and know he's lying. You know he's up to something. I don't get anything from doing my promises, but I do it for you because I am good. God always carries through his word. They were uncertain about what they would do, but they needed to just stand upon God's word. When you look at this passage, what you start to understand is this. It's the basis for the victory in Joshua. Because after this passage, they didn't do nothing but win. The only time that they lost was when they didn't seek the Lord. This passage is the reason why they lost in the book of Judges. Because when you look at it, the angel of the Lord came and said, I told you what to do, but you didn't obey my word. That's the exact quote. You didn't obey my word. Then he said, what is this you have done? And when you look at that passage, what you start to realize is this. Not trusting in God's word leads us to a cycle of chaos like the book of Judges. But we start to suffer defeat after defeat. And we start to wonder why things are so going so crazy. Why can't we have good success? Well, when you look in Joshua 1, you see what is success. What leads to success? It is by speaking, by meditating, by doing God's word. 
These are words we can live by. Look at Joshua 23. Joshua 23, verse 6, he says, Therefore be very strong to keep and do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside from it neither to the right hand or the left. That's a quote. He's quoting Joshua 1 because he's saying, man, I'm old now. But do you see my list of victories? I'm not bragging on me. I'm bragging on God's word. He did what he said he was going to do. All I did was be strong to do what God already told me to do. So if you be strong to do what God told you to do, you'll win too. That's why he says in Joshua 24, I'm sorry, Joshua 23, 14, and now I'm about to go the way of all the earth. In other words, I'm about to die. And you know in your hearts and souls, all of you, that not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God has promised concerning you. Man, I'm old now. I can't go out in war with y'all like I used to. But y'all know that I won every battle I won because I obeyed the Lord. That's why Joshua could later say, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. I don't care what y'all do. I'm going to obey God. I'm going to follow his word. But if you want to walk in the stubbornness of your own heart, you will fail. Everybody think they got an idea. They got a plan. But as I was looking at Sunday school, a verse hit me. It wasn't even a verse that Jeremy was looking at, but it was in Proverbs, and it said, there is no counsel, no wisdom, no plan that can succeed against the Lord. I was like, what is that verse doing in the Bible? It's a shot across the bow to Satan. It's a shot across the bow to anybody who want to walk in their own plans. But the thought is this, follow God's word. That's the only way to succeed. The word itself is a memorial of godly men who suffered to deliver it to us. Paul wrote in prison. Jeremiah wrote in a dungeon. We're going through the book of Hosea, but Hosea is written because Hosea married a woman that he knew he would be unfaithful to him in order to write what he wrote. Men suffered so that we could have this good word. That's a memorial. That's worth celebrating. We look at what is God's word. A word. What is a word? A word is a method of sharing thoughts and connecting minds. Then we look later on in the Bible and it says, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Who is that word? That's Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something. Jesus Christ fulfills all the qualities of God's word because he connects God and man, both in himself and in salvation. In himself, he is both God and man. And in salvation, he takes God, and he takes man, and he joins them hand in hand. Those who used to be enemies, he takes away the animosity. He forges a path of friendship through his blood. He died to make that happen. Jesus is the one that makes us strong. You can read this passage and say, be strong and very courageous to do what Jesus told us to do. Be strong and very courageous to be like Jesus. Who counted the suffering of the cross not worthy to be compared to the glories that were set before him. When we look at the word of God, we can't help but look at the main figure of the word of God, who is Jesus Christ. I say all this to say this. Joshua 1 is not just about being strong. Even though it's good to be strong. 
But if that's your only understanding of it, you're not going to succeed in understanding these passages in the days that you feel weak. It's not just about remembering Moses. Because you can remember Moses all you want. That's not going to help you with your problems today. It's about the word of God. That's what's going to carry us through on our bad days and our good days. That's going to help us when we sin and when we righteous. That's going to help us whether we're in the church or out of the church. If we obey God's word, we will have good success. And that's true of this church too. When I look out on his people, I see lots of empty seats that should be filled. But I know this. If we obey God's word, we will succeed. We will have success. But if we walk in the stubbornness of our own hearts, we will fail. Nobody in here has a better idea than this word. So let's adhere to it. Amen. Let's get into this word like it's our lifeline because it is. Dear Lord, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We pray as you to bless us to understand your truths. Help us to live by your word. Help us to start getting into Sunday school. Help us to start coming to Sunday nights. Help us to start coming to Wednesday nights. Help us to start reading our word more seriously at home. Help us to get involved in Bible studies. Help us to be those who start a Bible study. Help us to be those who start a discipleship. Help us to be those who don't wait for somebody to tell us, let's do it because it's in your word. You already said in your word, go therefore and make disciples. Let's be those who do your word. Lord, I know from working on a job that the boss is the happiest when we already start to do stuff before he even told us to do it. So now you, Lord, sometimes you send special men and women to tell us to do things, but how great a thing is it, a credit to us, when we do what's in your word before somebody else has to tell us. So help us to be like those who are doing a great job on the job. Before the boss sends somebody to tell us what to do, we're already doing it. Because we're reading and studying your word. In your name we pray. Amen.